Have you ever wondered, what is the best food sensitivity test for me? Have you ever felt that if you just got a better food sensitivity test, you'd feel better and stop questioning what foods you could or couldn't eat? Have you ever felt just frustrated with food, wondering what was causing your digestive problems? Well, if that is the case, then in this episode, I'm going to be talking with you about how you can choose the best food sensitivity test for yourself. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel more healthy and vibrant than ever by finding the root causes of our health problems. My name is Allison Jordan. I'm a marathon runner, functional medicine, health coach, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and just checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for your entire life. If you are ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. And just as a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make any changes to your health. Okay, well, before we get started in today's episode, I wanted to make a confession, which is when I was looking to title and create this episode, I was really tempted to title it something like, the number one best food sensitivity test on the market that you have to know about or something like that. And as you know, I I didn't choose that title. But the reason that I wanted to title that is because I have noticed and felt feel like there is this myth that is going around. I don't know if it's being populated by blogs or something or or who's creating it. But when I'm talking to people about their health, um, I frequently hear this thing um, like, can you just run a food sensitivity test on me? That's all someone wants. And uh, many times they've already had a food sensitivity test done and they just feel like it wasn't the best one or it somehow, yeah, just like wasn't perfect. Um, Sometimes they haven't had any and that's a reasonable thing. But when I talk further than with them, they, they might already say, well, I want a food sensitivity test. I'll ask them, like, why do you want a food sensitivity test? And you could even ask yourself right now, like, if you've been thinking about one, if you feel like you ought to have one, um, if whether you've had one or not yet, like, why do you want one? And a lot of times I hear like, well, I just don't know what to eat. I just feel like nothing makes me feel good. And they frequently will say, I've already been on the low FODMAP diet. I've already done gluten-free and dairy-free and some things made me feel a little better, but usually not for super long. And I want to know why. And I just want to like know the ultimate answer and just get the test. And unfortunately, I have to tell them that And I'm going to tell you that there is no perfect food sensitivity test that is going to tell you all the reasons why you're having digestive problems because you can have digestive problems for a million reasons other than food. 
And that's what's not being t- shared. That's not what being, that is what is not being taught. That is hard for me to say right now. That is not what is being taught right now, that that there are many, many other things that can be causing gut health problems other than food. Um, that being said, on today's episode, I did want to talk about the fact that there are different types of food sensitivity tests out there, and there are different ones that you could choose or pick that are going to have different pros and cons, Uh, not because one is better ultimately than the other, but it kind of depends on your intention for choosing that test and just understanding the test's pros and cons, its strengths and its weaknesses. If you want to hear more about food sensitivities, we I do have another whole ep- podcast episode dedicated to it, episode 14, the number one lie about food sensitivities that I hate. And that is a lie that is rampant um, everywhere. And I feel like I never hear anybody saying the opposite. And so um, when basically this lie is perpetuating this this idea that if I just fix my diet, that all my problems will go away. And then that's really frustrating because people will fix their diet and fix their diet and fix their diet. You'll do diet change, diet change over and over and over again and still not feel better. And so, uh, makes you feel quite crazy. So diet isn't the only thing you have to do. Um, and it is definitely kind of a myth being put out there that if you just pick, clean up your diet, you won't have any other problems. Um, that being said, we and I constantly see in my clients when we do get a good test and they understand the purpose of the test and what it is and isn't saying, we do see some really amazing changes in my client's health. So I'm going to talk with you today about some of the lab testing that we do, um, different food sensitivity tests we use, why the, the, the wide differences um, that we have in them. Um, and ultimately, if you have something like IBS, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, any thyroid problem, any adrenal problem, hormone imbalance, any type of energy problem, mood problem, these can all be impacted by food sensitivities. So definitely still an important part of of what's going on. So number one reason why there is no perfect food sensitivity test is just the 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 fact that there's no perfect diet or perfect fuel for everyone. Um, we all have a different genetic makeup and background, which when the first time someone pointed that out to me, I was like, huh, that is true. And in America, it's really weird. I mean, I think it's weird everywhere across the world, but America it m- might be unique in the fact that we are very much a melting pot. And as much as we have lots of racial and ethnic tensions going on in in this country. We also like, for example, me, I'm like, okay, well, my skin's white. So I'm like, I don't know, for all intents and purposes in our day and age, I just look white, but I'm like some Celtic and Germanic. And I've got, I'm mainly like Welsh, you know, British, British Isles area. Um, but I've got some like Indian or, or I guess you could say Native American in me. And so it's just like all mixed in. And that would impact like, well, what did all of those different people groups, what did they eat? What did their genes get really good at processing? Was it, you know, fats and proteins, fish, collagen, um, you know, p- potatoes or or what things were they just eating the most of? Um, so there is a really interesting thing. And, and when you put two people together, like me and my husband, my husband is half Filipino and half Mexican. Uh, he calls himself a Mexipino. So cute. Um, and or and or ambiguously brown. But 
you know, when we have children, realizing all of our children are going to come out, not only will they look different and, and there's the whole fun part of like, well, are they going to be super white or super brown or somewhere in between? Um, but, you know, there's that that physical, visual, our eyes can see those differences, but also their genetic makeup of what their body's going to prefer to eat could be very different from child to child. And that's just, that's just super interesting for me to consider that it might not be as big of a thing in other countries where maybe you might be German and come from a, just a super German line. Like, like there's just a lot of Germanic history in your family. And so you might not have a lot of genetic variation as far as all these other inputs being pushed together. Like you just wouldn't have had much less likely a thousand years ago, someone who lived in the Germanic area, um, marrying and having kids with somebody who's from Japan. It's just not, wouldn't have happened. So we're getting some interesting things that I, that I really makes me go, Hmm, uh, of ways to have compassion on ourselves of like, why, I can ha- need a s- extremely different diet than my sister who's like blood or than my parents. Um, the other thing that makes food sensitivity tests not perfect um, or things that can make the, this, the fact that there's no perfect diet for everybody and food sensitivity tests aren't going to are not like the holy grail of like, now I know what to eat um, is because we don't eat the same food that our ancestors did 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago. We eat food out of season. We grow super crops, aka like GMOs, genetically modified foods that are resistant to not only pesticides and herbicides, but they're also significantly stronger to resist our gut microbiome. Like plants Plants inherently have protective mechanisms to 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 dissuade other creatures from eating them. It's it, especially grains because grains, especially anything that has a seed in it. Uh, so like a tomato is like a bunch of seeds in it. Cucumbers have the seeds in the middle. Well, like literally a grain, like if you eat a piece of oat or corn or wheat or something, that is the seed. You're only eating seeds. So it's like a bomb to your gut sometimes. And that's one of the, 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 the protective mechanism is called a lectin. So that's one of the reasons why there's more people studying, well, should we just not even be eating lectin foods or the fact that like why lectin based or high lectin foods um, are, are now causing more problems for us? Well, because we're genetically modifying them literally to be stronger, which we think is like, haha, so clever that there it's harder for pests to kill or that are our, our herbicides, like literal toxins to damage the crop. But then, of course, makes it harder for us to eat them, right? And so um, there's the toxins, of course, that we've been putting on the plant. So even if you're not, even if you're eating non-GMO plants, not like organic, all this stuff, it's still just a different plant. The soil is different. Um, it can still be out of season. There's just a lot of stuff going on when, when it comes to our food and why it can be so confusing and, and why maybe it feels like more and more people are having more and more problems with food. It's just food is weird at this point in time. So, but then, but then comes, okay, well, let's, we have to focus on one thing at a time. So maybe I can't fix or change agricultural practices right now in this moment. Why don't we, let's just deal with something we can deal with. And that's where you get into the food sensitivity test. So great. Awesome. Now we're starting to think about food sensitivity testing and saying, I've noticed I've had some GI problems or my energy is really wonky or my thyroid's off. My adrenal glands are off. My hormones are off. Let's just see what's going on. How, what factors, uh, or roles is food playing in all of these problems? And so, 
you do a food sensitivity test, but you got to pick one. And the reason you have to pick is because there are so many things you can test with and for when it comes to food sensitivity tests. And there's basically two parts. So one part of the food sensitivity test is what are you testing in your immune system response? So your immune system is made up of many layers. And I kind of like to think of it or describe it to my clients as like, if you think of America and we have I think most countries have this. You have different layers of protection. So like local police, but then you also have the FBI. You also have the military. And then the military has all the branches. Like uh, the, the Coast Guard is usually like, you know, for the actual, um, nation that that it protects the nation's borders but then you also have like the marine corps or the army that might go international um you have all sorts of firefighters you have all these different protective mechanisms and firefighters aren't going to do the same thing as the fbi aren't going to do the same thing as the coast guard and so That's kind of like your immune system. You have white blood cells, you have leukocytes, you have immunoglobulins, uh, you have all these different inflammatory markers like histamine. They all have a different role um, in, in, in fighting viruses and addressing inflammation in the body. And when you do a test, any type of test that's testing an immune response, you can only, the test is only choosing to test a certain portion. You're only testing the local police or you're only testing the FBI. Or if it's a deeper test, maybe you're testing the FBI and the local police and the Coast Guard, but maybe it's not, you're not looking at firefighters and you're not looking at whatever other, you know, protect uh, private eyes. Like, you know, you just can't test or if you do, it's a more expensive test usually. It's a thorough test, but it's it's just very, what we I call an in-depth test. So you can vary in how many portions of your immune system you're checking. Um, that's one thing. And so a one option you could do is, is you test maybe just the local police, which might be, I'd call your like IgA response. We'll get into this in a second. And if you just test IgA, well, maybe because of that, you're going to test more foods. Um, and so just because you think of just how many (laughs) variations and iterations mathematically you're going to be testing, the more numbers of your immune system you're checking. So if you check your IgA, IgG, IgE, and IgM for wheat, well, that's way different than just IgA for wheat and corn and 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 whatever you're testing, spinach, <laughs> broccoli. Um, so there's the immune response. And realize like your immune response, you could test your IgA, which maybe is like your police force. And your police force might not even care about wheat. But then you can test your FBI part of your immune system. And your FBI might be like, we freaking hate wheat. It's the worst. And so if you get a food sensitivity test and it's only testing your police force response to wheat, the test is going to come back and say you're not wheat sensitive. But that might not be the truth. It just might not be all the information. So now you come back and you're like, I can eat all the wheat I want. But the truth is you're still hurting yourself when you eat wheat. So Woo, complicated, man. Um, so you just want to know when you're doing a, a food sensitivity test or you at least want your health practitioner to know <laughs> what it is and isn't doing. And then ideally your health practitioner would then tell you what it covered. And I'm very intentional when I walk through our food sensitivity test with our clients, like what this test isn't, isn't saying. Because I, I see so many times another 
one of my clients coming from a different functional doctor, a different integrative doctor, a different holistic practitioner and saying, um, I got this food sensitivity test and this is what it said. And I look at it, I'm like, well, it only tested this portion. Did your practitioner tell you that this is not potentially the full picture or this isn't a good um, analysis of this test? You actually have to analyze a food sensitivity test. It's not just like I high or low. You have to understand what is high, what is low. Really interesting stuff. So that's one aspect of immune system or excuse me, of food sensitivity testing is just understanding what part of the immune system you're testing. Um, and now we'll get into the immune system options. Not all of them. These are not all of them, but they're the most common ones. You have uh, IgA, which your IgA response is immunoglobulin A. It's more of a short-term response. Um, the, this IgA will flare up usually for about three months after an exposure to something. And so if you do an IgA test, if you had something six months ago, but not within the last three months, it'll look, it might look really calm. Like, oh, you're good. You're not sensitive to wheat. Well, if you haven't had wheat in three months, but you had it six months ago, it just wouldn't show up. Your IgG is more long-term. So it's more in that three to six months range. Um, so it's really interesting. I will sometimes do uh, our deep wheat test, which is called a Zoomer test. And it looks at both IgA and IgG levels. And the IgA will look like super clean and good. And the person says, oh, look, I'm not sensitive to wheat. And I'm like, but your IgG levels are really high, which suggests you had some wheat exposure somewhere between three to six months ago, which also means that you've had inflammation in your body for six months because you had one exposure to wheat, which is just a really good reason why I try to encourage my clients when we find stuff like that. You don't cheat on on wheat or, or whatever it is we found that there was an IgG response. You just don't cheat on it because you're having long-term responses if you're getting an IgG response to that food. Um, you have IgE response, which is more of the traditional allergy, like uh, anaphylaxis would be an like you have a high IgE response. Um, and you also have something called IgM, which again, some people test for it, some people don't. It's a little bit more of a long-term testing. But um, these are different parts of your of your food sensitivity testing that you can do. Um, there's another test that we do that actually uses white blood cell response. And the white blood cell response, there's a lot of different types of white blood cells, and they can cause a lot of different inflammatory inflammatory marker responses. But it's basically your your blood, your, your immune system in your bloodstream responding to food sensitivities. And we're going to talk about the repercussions of what that means in the test that we use and the nuances we discover, but that's just another thing it could be testing. It's not even testing your immunoglobulins. It's looking at white blood cell response. And so um, I typically, you typically see a higher white blood cell response when there's a problem with leaky gut going on and the body is, is, is being exposed, or you'd say the blood is being exposed to what we call whole food. So the food isn't being fully digested. You've got that leaky gut. So it's like this damaged castle wall. And that food that should have been digested more is getting into the bloodstream sooner than it should. And so it's it, maybe it's like banana and you eat bananas all the time because you heard it's good for you and they're low FODMAP food or something. That was my case. <laughs> um, 
they're a low FODMAP food. You heard it's good for you, so eat it every day. And your white blood cells are like, man, we are seeing this whole food banana in the bloodstream day after day after day. We just, let's, this stuff is evil. Let's just attack it and they will mark it and you will start to develop a food sensitivity. That is interesting. So hold that marker in your head for a moment, but you can develop food sensitivities and you can also heal some of them. Not all of them, but some of them. Um, I've healed like probably close in the hundred range of food sensitivities I used to have. Um, Just really, really cool stuff. And so there is hope guys. But that being said, those are the two different things that can be going on. uh, Or sorry, that's the one thing, the immune system. I'm just getting to the second thing, which is the fact that every piece of food, like again, going back to banana, doesn't have like, it's, there's not like one banana molecule in the banana, right? Like this is a banana It has molecules in it and it makes it a banana. The banana has different portions of it. So the banana has a seed portion. It has um, basically can all be broken down into something we would call peptides, which are just these like different protein portions that make up the banana. Um, There's the there's lectin portion of the banana. There's uh, there's honestly I don't it's interesting. I know enough to be dangerous, but I don't even study like the biochemistry of food. So I'm sure that. There's like all these different molecular things. But do you guys see what I'm saying? That when you eat something there, like whether it's an apple or a watermelon, there's the fiber part of it. There's the sugar part of it. There's different types of sugars. There's fructose sugars. There's all sorts of stuff. So so like that's why one of the reasons, again, if you're on the low FODMAP diet, which was something I was on. And so I, I think about it a lot. And honestly, I... I really want to heal and help people who are on that because it is a really hard diet to be on. That's why you can eat an app. You can't eat an apple, but you can eat a banana because apples are high in FODMAPs. So fermentable oligosaccharides, monosaccharides, disaccharides, and polyols, which are specific kinds of sugars. Um, Just really, you know, like really makes your brain go, whoa, um, how many different types of just sugar there is. So these are all broken up and mixed up into all these different foods. And when you do a food sensitivity test, that that food sensitivity test lab had to choose what, how they're going to test this food. What, what portion of the food are they going to choose? Like what, what is that one thing? And so a very deep Food sensitivity tests might test one food, but test like all of its components or like 90% of its components. And it'll match it up to like IgA and IgG. And it's like, yeah, this is what you have going on with this one food. Um, and you'll get everything. It's like a complete workup. It's looking at like, I'm trying to think of like when they do background checks and they're like, I don't know what they look at at background checks, but I'm sure it's like, have you ever been in jail or like, have you been pulled over? It's like, they know everything and it's like a complete workup. And so you get a background check on this food, banana and, and how is it affecting your body? Um, and, and, and that's that. Or you could do a very simple test where it's just a small portion of the food and the lab chose it maybe because it's the most common portion of the food someone be, can be sensitive to or whatever. They choose what's going on and that's it. And so you can have a very deep test where they cho- they study lots of things on one food or you could have a very wide test where usually you see multiple foods like in the 100, 200 numbers of food, um, but they're, it's a more of a shallow, like, like they're just just testing this surface level sensitivity, which doesn't mean it's it's not effective. You just have to realize it might not be seeing the whole picture. Um, fun fact, I, the two tests that we run in our clinic 
one is more of that many foods, but like superficial, like shallow, not as deep look into it. And then our second test that we will run frequently is a deep look into fewer foods, usually about four foods or like 10 foods type thing. And we've actually seen that in the shallow, like that, that many foods, but, but not as deep look, people will show up, not set that test will say this person's not sensitive to corn. They're not sensitive to wheat or not sensitive to dairy or not sensitive to soy, but then we'll do the deep food sensitivity test. And it says they are sensitive to one of those things. And it, it kind of makes my clients like feel like they're in the twilight zone. Like, are you lying to me? Why are these so different? And they kind of want to go towards the test that says they can eat this food. But then I have to explain to them they are two totally different tests. They mean different things. This is why we did both of them. And I'm really glad we did both of them because one of them found something the other one didn't. And that is what's going on. So I hope you guys understand food sensitivity tests. There's no one perfect one. You just have to understand what your options are, what they're testing. And that can you can do that maybe by looking at the website. Uh, many times websites of that lab will tell you this is what we study. You can ask your physician or the practitioner you're working with, like, what is this testing? Um, and they should be able to tell you. Um, but then from there, you now want to ask yourself, well, how do I pick which one? And so number one, you want to know what your intentions are. Are you looking for things like absolute food sensitivities? Then you want to go, absolute means they don't change. You are sensitive for this for forever. You then want to go with a food sensitivity test that is more deep and is going to look at every single component of, of that food and see if you have a sensitivity to it. We use our Zoomer test, uh, which is by Vibrant America. We do something called a Zoomer bundle and we test just like use somewhere between four to 10 um, different foods here. So it might be wheat, we'll do dairy, soy, and grains or something. And grains covers everything but corn and and wheat because corn and wheat are so complicated that they're their own tests. Um, and so you might do that that those four tests and whatever comes out of those is absolute. The Zoomer test is what I did after I miscarried and then did my blood chemistry and saw I had a ridiculous amount of histamine in my blood that I was like, this is not allergies. I don't know what this is. And I did the Zoomer test and I was very much sensitive to corn and rice. Um, also quinoa, but I didn't really eat quinoa at the time. So it wasn't like a a sad farewell, but corn and rice was pretty sad. Um, but I feel so much better. It's just crazy. Um, and of course I feel so good about like, this is a great environment for my baby to be, be cultivated in when we get pregnant again. And so, um, you want to be saying, asking yourself, are, am I looking for absolute food sensitivities? Am I looking for hidden food sensitivities? Do, have I ever done a food sensitivity test before? Many times, if you haven't, I do recommend just doing a wide one first to just catch a good net catch. Um, you know, we've had one of our testimonials of one of our clients who came on of Abby Herman, which we can link her testimonial in the show notes, but she came on and she talked about how we did a food sensitivity test, the, what we call the MRT 170. Um, and so it's 170 foods that we test. Um, it's the white blood cell test and it's good for catching foods that have been developed food sensitivities. And she had developed some food sensitivities. 
how do we know? Well, we got her test results and she she had some stuff in the yellow category, some in the red. So yellow is is like sensitive and red's like super sensitive to these foods. And some of the foods in the yellow categories, I would ask her, have you, do you eat a lot of this or not? And I remember there were three foods that she ate a lot of that was in the yellow category, spinach, broccoli, and strawberries. And spinach and broccoli specifically, she ate in a in an, in an egg omelet every morning because she's like, you know, she knows protein is good energy and fuel for her and all this stuff. But she said the weird thing that happened is every morning after eating this egg omelet, she would get these crazy sugar cravings. And she she was like, what is going on? And and she's she's a business owner. She's an ultra marathon runner. She's, a, she's like, I have a lot of good willpower, Allison, but these sugar cravings are super intense. And we took out the broccoli and spinach from her diet. And in three days, her sugar cravings had almost completely been eliminated. And I had made a bet with her that that's what was would have happened. And that's what happened. And she thought I was magical. <laughs> but what was going on is she was eating these food sense, these foods that her gut due to having damage, had learned as it saw broccoli and spinach enter into her bloodstream every morning, her white blood cells were like, mm, we hate that stuff. And it was attacking it. We then removed it from her body. We addressed the pathogens that were damaging her gut lining. We then healed her gut lining, which is another part of her protocol. And it did require some supplements and some lifestyle changes. And then we could reintroduce those foods and those food sensitivities not be there. So again, a wide test understanding that, you know, is this test absolute or is it maybe something that is a developed food sensitivity? Um, and you want to know, like, are you looking for hidden food sensitivities, things that wouldn't show up on any food sensitivity test, doing a deeper test would be better for that. Um, and you just want to choose based on the strength and the weaknesses of the test. So know what your intentions are and and see which test matches up with that. And if that just sounds um, overwhelming or you're not sure, maybe you love that because you like love research. But if it's overwhelming, realize that's why health practitioners exist, because we have studied these things. Ideally, hopefully whoever you work with has studied these things. And we're, we're there to help you um, sift through all the options and make sure that you're getting what your intentions are. And number two, how you choose is you do at, like, I would recommend ask your health practitioner for their input. Now doctors, I'd say frequently either they, they might, they definitely know that there's different parts of the immune system. They might know the tests that are available to them. Like a celiac test is specifically for an autoimmune response to gluten. It's a very specific marker. Um, but if you come up negative on that, it doesn't mean you're not sensitive to gluten or wheat. It just means you're, you're not having an autoimmune response, which is your body attacking it excuse me, attacking itself. So that being said, like your, your doctor might know, but they also, in my experience, they don't have any access to any other different tests anyways. So there are other te lab tests out on the market, but the reason for that is because hospital systems aren't using them or creating them. So there's other labs that are saying there's a hole in the market. Just like if we only sold red cars and someone wanted a blue car, you would then get somebody who starts manufacturing blue cars because there's a hole in the market. Some, there, there's a need or at least a desire that that the all the red car manufacturers aren't fulfilling. And that's what's happening with the hospital systems is that they only do certain things and functional medicine pops up and other lab tests pop up that doctor conventional doctors do not run because that is not what they do. It's just not. It's like we are a red car manufacturing company. We don't do anything else. So 
you just know that those are the differences. But you can talk to whoever you want and you can ask for their input. So a lot of times when I'm working with my clients, I explain to them what I recommend based off of their history. Um, sometimes we even forgo a food sensitivity test because they've already had one and it just feels confusing and they're going to heal from some stuff anyways. I'm like, we could just wait. Let's just wait. Um, and we can make good food choices actually based off of like pathogens. Like if they have candida, we have specific, some different dietary shifts we know we can already make just based off of candida or based off of blastocystis hominis or based off of C. diff. We can, based off of mold, um, we can make these choices. And so um, sometimes we just make some dietary shifts based off of pathogens because and what they like or what will make them starve or make them weaker. Um, and those are all short-term changes. But uh, realize you can ask your health practitioner for input. And sometimes my clients will tell me what they want. I'll tell them what their options are, what the, what the tests, pros and cons are. And sometimes we'll run one test over the other, like the MRT over the Zoomer or vice versa. And sometimes we just run both. I have clients say, I just want to run both. I want the information and it's great. And you can do that because it's your health, your life. You don't have to deal with insurance haggles or any of other problems. It is something you have the, that you get to choose in your life. So um, the two tests that we do run, one is called the mediator release test or the MRT by LEAP. And so you can search MRT LEAP and you will find their website. We can also link it in the show notes for y'all and you can just see what the test is, see how it works. Um, It's 170 foods. It it can look, it can find absolute food sensitivities, but typically if it finds it, the way we know is we look at the test result. If it's yellow or red, I ask the, I'd ask you, do you eat a lot of this? And so like, I've seen like honeydew on there, for example, or pumpkin. And someone's like, I only eat pumpkin once a year. Or someone says, I eat honeydew like once, I hate honeydew. I eat it like once every five years. I just don't like it. I'm like, well, your body doesn't like it. You're not even getting exposed to it that much. And you're having an immune response. And they always snicker to themselves because they're like, I knew I always hated it. <laughs> but yeah, you you can, your, your taste buds definitely can be impacted by the fact that you are sensitive to something, which is kind of encouraging. Um, and then, so we use the MRT 170. We can look for both like developed food sensitivities. We can look for food sensitivities related to leaky gut. We do see food sensitivities on that test heal and reduce, which is great. Um, and we also do find some long-term stuff, but it's not like the most thorough test for that. And then when we're looking for more thorough stuff, we do do a zoomer test. Um, that's, Food sensitivities typically that don't change. It looks deeply at IgA, IgG, and IgE. It looks at multiple peptides of the food. Um, for example, and and so you guys know, some of my wheat peptides were completely good. Like I was in the green for my IgA and IgG, but I'd say like seventy five percent of my wheat peptides were like bad. I was. I was in the in the red for them. Same with corn. Some of my corn peptides, like I had, my body doesn't respond to, but maybe 75 or like it was closer to 80 or 85. It was pretty high. Percent of my corn peptides were like red and not good. My body does not like corn, y'all. And so um, that was really good for me to know. It was sobering, but, but I'm not going to like cheat or lie or be able to change of that. And so I'm embracing it. I will tell you guys that I am going to be creating an podcast episode in the future on why going gluten-free didn't heal your gut or body. Cause I find that, uh, wheat, 
I mean, I think corn kind of falls into the, is starting to fall into that, maybe dairy, but especially wheat. It's like a strong sensitivity out there. Um, there's just a lot of questions. People come to me and said, well, I already went gluten-free, so why would I go gluten-free again? It didn't help me. It didn't heal me. I'm going to just have a whole podcast episode on it. So just want to let you guys know it is coming. It's not scheduled, but probably in the next month or two after this releases. Be excited. Okay, so the last things to know about food sensitivity tests, just as I wrap up a summary. Number one, know that not all food sensitivity test results are for life, and there is no perfect food sensitivity test. So you can't just find the perfect one and be like, this is what I'm going to follow for the rest of my life, and it's going to make my life perfect, and I won't have any other problems, and it's going to be my like holy grail of solutions. Uh, they have they have limitations, they have pros and cons. And honestly, some of your food sensitivity test results, it might change depending on what this test is. If you if it is like a sensitivity that you can heal. Some food sensitivity tests are for life, like the results that you find, they don't change and they need to be followed. Otherwise, you are inviting inflammation. And basically, you're asking the army forces of your body, um, your immune system to go haywire every time you expose yourself to that food. Um, it's, your, base, your body sees it as a toxin at that point. And so it'd be like intentionally taking in lead or taking in, uh, I don't know, drinking Windex or something, just taking some a straight up toxin into your body because you're like, oh, I just feel like it. So it's that might sound really harsh, but it does. That mindset does help me remember. And I know it's helped my clients just be like, OK, it's a real thing if I want wheat, but it's also a real thing if I know it hurts me. Um Another big thing to know, which we didn't really cover in depth in this episode, but you can hear more about on episode 14 on the number one food sensitivity or the number one lie about food sensitivities that I hate. But just as a reminder for those of you who have heard this before, that cleaning up your food sensitivities might not heal you because there are many other things that can hurt you. Pathogens, if you check out episode 55, that's going to tell you more about that. Liver detoxification and it, it detoxifying or not detoxifying, which is something that we look into with our clients via blood chemistry on something called their Dutch test, how well they're detoxifying estrogen digestion can impact your gut health like how much stomach acid are you producing how much bile are you producing bile is an antimicrobial bile helps you chelate aka bind heavy metals bile helps you break down fat and assimilate fat so you can absorb fat soluble vitamins and have healthy cell membrane walls pancreatic enzymes we can get ideas on how all of that is doing and things like your gi map test which is a stool pathogen test we do with our clients nutritional deficiencies can really harm you, especially mineral imbalance. We look at a test called the HTMA or hair tissue mineral analysis to get an idea on how that's doing with our clients. We look at genes. We look at, you know, and that's usually the last thing that we do if we're working with a client. We might not even do a test, but once you clean up everything else, heavy metals, nutritional deficiencies, digestion, liver detox, pathogens, Sometimes if there's still some idiosyncrasies going on, we're, what we're seeing is the vestiges of a gene um, dysfunction. And just, just like everybody's got like somewhat funny different genes. And if you are interested in delving into this concept of genes and how they can behave bad and how you can actually help them behave nicely, you can check out the book Dirty Genes by Dr. Ben Lynch. 
one of my top five favorite health books ever. Um, really phenomenal work there. And and I have to say, I'm pretty picky because I feel like a lot of health books, they're either like too dense or they're not helpful, like they're not practical. Um, just like there's a lot of reasons why I'm like, eh, I wouldn't really recommend this book. It was interesting, but it's not my favorite. That's a practical book, really understandable, really well written. Um, and and I also just think all the advice in it is phenomenal. Um, and so just, again, realize, know that cleaning up your food sensitivities might not heal you the way you are hoping or expecting or feel like you are being told it would. I'm now telling you that you don't need to be disappointed if you clean up your food sensitivities and still feel poor. Um, and then that kind of gets to lastly, like you might not even need a food sensitivity test as much as you need a different test, like a pathogen test or which might be a stool pathogen test or an organic acids test, which we do, which is a urine test or a mycotoxin test, which looks for mold or just a toxin test in general, like a heavy metal test or even something like a non-metal chemical test, which can look at parabens and phthalates. And that's another test that we can do with their clients, which we usually wait to see like, hey, if we start cleaning up all these other things like pathogens, is there anything else we start to see lingering around? But we do like that's just another reality is we're all being exposed to chemicals and heavy metals. And the sicker we are, the longer we have been sick, like mild and moderately sick, let alone severely sick, the harder it is for our body to have dealt with those toxins. And we're much more likely to have accumulated some at a higher rate when, when our immune system has been down. So that is it on food sensitivity tests, how to pick one, all the different uh, intricacies that go on in them. There are lots of food sensitivity tests. I'm not definitely not going to cover all of them, just the ones that we do, but I hope that helps. I hope that you have an understanding of of why you might choose one or the other over the other, or if you've already had a food sensitivity test, some of the reasons why it might have not yielded you the results you want, or if you've already gone gluten free and it felt like it didn't help, but you know, you're not sure if you should still be off gluten. Those are some of the things that go on. But really, if you are ready to dive into your health and clean up your symptoms for good, I want to invite you to set up a qualifying call with me, which is a 30-minute call with me to see if you are a good fit for our foundations program. It's a six-month program where you work with me, you get lab testing, so you test and you don't guess anymore about what's going on in your body. We check out your hormones, we check out your gut health, we check out your nutritional statuses, we we look at everything and then we create a customized health plan for you to follow for six months that takes you through the A to Z of how to heal your body and then also getting you off of any restrictions that you might be on currently or that we might even put you on short term so that by the time you're done working with us, you have the widest margins possible in your diet and your lifestyle and just freedom in your body. So if you are ready to start that program and you are ready to get going ASAP, on getting answers and healing your body, you can set up that qualifying call by clicking the link in our show notes. I would love to meet with you and chat with you there. Okay, everybody, another episode done. I hope that you feel so enlightened. I hope that you enjoyed learning about food sensitivity tests because they're interesting, right? 
I, it's just not information that is shared a ton out there. So I hope this is helpful for you. If you love this episode and you thought of somebody while you're listening to it, or you just, your mind was blown, I would invite you in love. If you would just take a screenshot and share this on your Instagram stories, tag better belly therapies. We would love to see what stuck out to you about the episode, connect with you, say hello, and just know who is listening and be able to share more gut love and goodness with everybody. So uh, please do take a screenshot and share it either with a friend or on Instagram stories. Other ways that you can support us is by leaving a rating and review on our Apple podcast. We have a link in the show notes where you can just click that even if you don't listen to Apple or through the Apple uh, venue that you can leave a review. I would love to hear uh, from you and help it helps other people really like find this podcast themselves so that they can also get this information and lastly other ways you can stay in conversation with us is by following us on instagram at better belly therapies i love connecting with y'all and hearing what questions you have what podcast episodes you're interested in hearing more about and in general just celebrating gut loving goodness because i said that once and it just was so fun to say it again in the meantime i'll leave you off with our motto Miracles are immediate, but healing takes time.